chapter 7, part 2, but part 3 of part 2, or some child, read it in order. All right. So, I'm at the gas station. Calm down. Get a phone call. Dessaline calls me. Hey, Baba, what's the move? Oh, shit. I done forgot that the kids have seen this woman treat me ugly. They've seen it. Now, remember, up until this point, the kids don't know nothing about my treatment, with the exception of uh, whatever parents would have told them. And uh, this particular student, two, or two, two students. But other than a very select few students know, knew why I left. Very few. Um, and none of them had, nobody knew before I did it. Um, but again, the responsibility that I had to these students were based on the relationships that I had with them. And I knew that my sudden departure uh, warranted more of an explanation from me to them. And that's why I shared what I did with them. But anyway, so I get this phone call. What's the move? And I don't know what's happening in the school at this point. Um, but he says, you got us fired up. And I tell him, I say, I want y'all to calm down. I'm going to handle business on my end. I'm going to crank up on my end. I want y'all to stand down. I got it. Something along those lines. Um, but the message was stand down. It's not your fight. But that was the first time I had realized when, when he called me, I was like, oh shit. Them children saw me being treated bad. They heard me being treated bad. After they were told that if he ever wants to come back, he can come back with open arms and we don't know why he left and we will always welcome him back. Now, they didn't know any of the cease and desist and all of, the, all of that back and forth going on as they shouldn't. But what they did know and what they did see was that their baba was treated like shit. And when you build so many connections with so many children, they take it very personal. Now, I don't know what happened in the building when I left. But I know when I got home, I got home about, about an hour and a half later. Got home about 1.30. Now, when I was home, I got on Snapchat. And at this point, I had on Snapchat, I had been on Snapchat at this point for like, a week and two days. I had already had probably 200, 200, 150 followers, about 150. And 120 of them were easily current students, easily. Um, I was, there was a lot of students following me and I was following them. Um, 
And the other thing about this too is, well, let me keep going. So I get, I get on Snapchat and I say, uh, you know, I went, I came to the school to get my things and the school wouldn't let me in and I don't know why. So I, I'm ranting in about six snaps. And in the last snap I go, I'm finna get in their ass. That's the last one I send. Again, I am. Well, let me keep going. So. Rest of that night, I don't hear anything from a parent. I don't know anything. You know, no one, no one. Um, but students started sending me messages on Snapchat about what happened after the day or after I left. So this is based on several students' accounts. It's all allegations. I wouldn't know I wasn't there. I just know that this is what first uh, students shared with me on Snapchat. And then this was also second when I did finally um, speak to parents and then other teachers. Like Everybody was kind of corroborating what this initial report was that this student sent me from school, like right out the school got out um, that day. And I, another student actually sent me a video of them singing Habari Ghani in the cafeteria because after I left, the kids started to protest in that way. So they started singing. Now, from all the reports I got, uh, there were students who started like tearing up a room, like flipping desks, breaking computers in half. Something happened. I used to have all of these flags on my wall. I had like the Puerto Rican flag, the Haitian flag, the Dominican flag. I had all of the diaspora flags hanging in my room, these little mini flags. At some point, all these flags came down and the kids was like, you know, this was a thing with these flags. Then there was the school or the lunch terrier, the cafeteria wide protest of them singing Habari Ghani back to back. It's just Habari Ghani. Habari Ghani. This was them protesting. So sometime in the middle of this, I'm told, or I'm, I'm it's alleged, child, whatever, that the resource officer comes into the cafeteria with two additional officers along with the principal and with the um, data processor. Now, remember I told you the kids sang in the cafeteria. They just singing Habari Gunny on loop. The director enforces a silent lunch. And this day they had silent, they had lunch for 40 minutes. She mandated that those children eat the rest of their lunch in silence. And there were police officers stationed in this cafeteria. There's another account of some students getting into a verbal altercation, a screaming match with the police. There was a account of Apparently, the director at some point feared for her safety from students. And so I was told that um, 
there was a guard, allegedly, stationed specifically to her, that she felt so much under threat by the kids and the atmosphere that they created, really she created by her treatment of me, that she had to be escorted around campus with a guard. You know, I spoke to parents who told me uh, she didn't look good that day. She looked stressed. I bet she fucking did. I bet she did look stressed. I've been teaching for 13 years. I've been getting schools together since I was 19. I ain't never had to call the police to help me with no motherfucking child, let alone 200 of them. If you felt that unsafe, that you thought bringing armed guards into a school where 80% of the children identified as black, Hispanic, Asian, Native American, or multi-race, if that was your only option, then perhaps you should find another demographic to educate. Perhaps you should be safe, or perhaps you should take heed and teach among a demographic where you feel more safe. But police have no place in schools, period. We'll take your money, though. Pound, defund the police. I can tell you some shit what to do with it, but we don't need you in the schools. The police have a very specific purpose, and the school system and setting ain't it. That as crazy as children make us, and as bad as they asses are, that the last thing black children in this day and age in a Trump America needs are gun-toting police officers in schools where black children are the majority. And I live in a state where they didn't try to put guns in the teacher's hands, child. Let me keep going. So I long story short, I tell Desaline to stand down. I don't know if he listened because apparently some shit went down. Some folk broke some desks, you know. Um, and I would be sitting up here lying if I did not say, I'm going to go on the record as saying how proud I am of my kids. Because as I'm actually ashamed or uh, I... I'm ashamed of how much I discourage them to not protest. When I think about the way I taught them, when I think about all of the lessons I taught them, when I think about uh, the unit, not the lesson, baby, we had a unit on Malcolm X. We had a unit on radical Martin Luther King. We had a unit on the Haitian Revolution where you, these children were filled up on Dessalines and Toussaint and, and Duddy Bookman and all of these revolutionaries that resonated with them. That I taught these children resistance. I taught them rebellion. I taught them revolution. I taught them all of this. And even though the things that happened were unfortunate, they were a direct result of the way those children had been instructed. That at the end of the day, you stand up for what you believe in. And if, even if that means you got to make some noise, bitch, be heard. 
I can't say this enough. I never instructed a single child to do a single thing, but not protest. But the things I heard that went on in that building after I left, I tell you this, it made me proud. It made me proud. And that is the honest truth. So a few days later, I am having a conversation with parents um, who are calling and telling me the aftermath of, this is like January the 19th. Yes, this is Sunday or the 20th. This is the day before MLK Day or the actual holiday, the Monday. So Friday, Monday, there's no school. So Sunday, um, I've been drinking all day because I've been mourning my children all day. I've been rehashing and reliving the embarrassment and humiliation of being escorted out in front of them for two days. And I'm just not in a good place. I have a conversation with some parents who share some insight on what happened after I left. And remember by Sunday, I had already heard through students via Snapchat what had allegedly happened, right? With a student account, you always take it as a grain of salt, right? Because there's there's some, that's just, now I don't even want to say grain of salt. You just, you always keep in mind and be mindful that it is a child's account, always. It was to the degree of how closely these stories resemble from these parents and these children that really broke me. And then I'm hearing from parents about the effects that the whole ordeal has had on their children over the weekend. That children have been traumatized by the police, that children have been uh, emotionally distraught, that children have been um, physiologically, physiologically altered in a very negative way and in negative ways. That children have been hurt beyond my wildest dreams. I wasn't thinking about any of that when I left or when I went. I was thought I was doing a good thing by giving them closure, by giving me closure. But to know that my going into that school led to negative interactions with the police, with those children, led to some level of trauma, led to some level of discomfort on any level. It is the one part of this entire ordeal 
that will take the most time to heal. I am having a very hard time forgiving myself. For that. Because on top of everything else. Those children didn't deserve that. So the next. Day. Is Martin Luther King Day. I don't hear from anybody. Parents anything. Um. But I call my mom and dad and I say, hey, I, I, you know, I'm thinking about coming home for a few days. I text them that. And I scraped up the little bit of money I had because I did get one final paycheck from them for the days that I worked in. Like I got like a half a paycheck from them. So I used that money to buy a one way ticket to Atlanta to go be with my family. Um because I needed to heal. I needed to heal. I was I was I was broken at this point. I was it was bad that I cried the entire plane ride from Tampa to Atlanta. The entire plane ride. That when I got to Atlanta walking through the airport, I'm crying. That when I get into my Uber and I take the 26 minute drive or ride from my parents' home, from the airport to my parents' home, I'm crying the whole time in the back seat. And then I get to my mother and father's home and I pull up, get to the front door, and my mother opens the door. And I just start crying fall into her arms. I'm just crying, 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 crying. And I just, just let it all go. As much crying as I had done up until that point, wouldn't you know I still had something left when I saw my mom? I don't know where those tears come from. I thought I had cried them all in damn Florida and got to Atlanta because it was a, it was a, it was, I guess being in Atlanta during school, I get, it hit me. I'm supposed to be teaching right now. We're supposed to be at lunch right now. I'm supposed to be on car duty right now. That's all I could think about. The days immediately leaving KCC, KCC that Friday, the next weeks that followed that, were among the worst of my life. And I have been through some shit. I have been through some shit. But in everything that I've survived, and everything that I've gone through, nothing compares to the grief and the mourning and the sudden loss 
of 200 children. Nothing. Nothing. I have yet to experience a sadness quite as profound as that. That the days after, now, mind you, the police came, the police came to my sister's house while I was in Atlanta. They came, I mean, yeah, they came to her house like twice. But she was at work, but you know, she got that little peekaboo thing where she can see who had dough from her phone child. So she called me and like, the police got a letter for you. I said, well, I'm in Atlanta. They can't come arrest me. So she was like, no, they ain't coming to arrest you. They was coming to give you something. And I, I figured it was the trespassing. A week later, I get a phone call from my roommate. Hey, police looking for you. Well, goddamn. I ain't never had the police looking for me. I don't like no shit like this. I don't like that. I wasn't raised. I had no police looking for me, and I ain't finna have the police looking for me. She ain't even answered the door. She was so right up. I'd be damned if the police didn't call my phone from Atlanta. The police called me. A major, major white man. I don't know. And he, he says, uh, we're, we're, we're going to forego. We're, we're going to forget what happened on Friday. But this is us letting you know that if you come back to the school, you will be arrested. And I said, sir, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, the only reason why I didn't uh, stay in that school and let you arrest me in front of those kids was because I didn't want my kids to see it. But I didn't care nothing about going to jail on Friday. I went up there to get my money, say bye, do what I need to do. He said, well, you may just want to go through arbitration and do it that way, but I'm just letting you know that if you come back, you'll be resigned. You'll be, uh, you will be arrested. <clears throat> this is sometime within the first week of me being in Atlanta. This same week in Atlanta, um, because after I left my mama, I cried when I was crying in her arms and my daddy was sitting in the next room. I walked over to him and started crying and finally just let out to them everything that was going on. They didn't know any of this. They knew I had a cracker bitch problem. Um, and let me just say this. As black people, our problems progress to cracker bitch, okay? We don't never start out like that with white women who give us blues in the goddamn workplace. You become a cracker bitch. It's always a progressive because as time go on, they get worse and worse and worse and worse. So it's always a, you know, ooh, it's this lady at my job. It's something. That's what it is. It's this lady at my job. Couple months, you still on that shit, then it become, you talk, next time you talk to your mama, next time you talk to your daddy. They say, how that lady doing? So ooh, that white woman, no shaking on my nerves. See, now it's a white woman. Couple months later, that why I'm still giving you trouble. I can't stand that cracker bitch. But that progression comes with the bullshit that they put us through in the workplace. Let me keep going. That's a that's the final thoughts. Okay, I go into that. So I'm in Atlanta and I'm crying uncontrollably all day long, every day. Everything reminds me of these children. I can't watch nothing on TV. I can't watch. I'm got, I'm trying to, there's a channel in Atlanta, or there's a channel on my parents' satellite 
service where it's nothing but Gordon Ramsay Hell Kitchen just 24 hours a day. That was the only thing that I could watch without crying. And that was only if somebody didn't get on that show crying. If somebody got on that show crying and it's Gordon Ramsay, you, he gonna always make a bitch cry. But Hell's Kitchen was the only show that I could watch that did not trigger sadness from my kids. At this point, first week in Atlanta, I'm dreaming about the police walking into my classroom and arresting me in the middle of my lessons. I'm being woken up out of my sleep with these night terrors. I'm trying to drown myself in karaoke. I'm going out every night. Let me just keep my mind off things. I'm home. You know, let me, let me, let me try to get back in touch with me. That's why I went home, you know. I would come home from karaoke. And I would lock myself on the other end of the house where my parents couldn't hear me. And I would go in that bathroom and cry and cry and cry. I missed and mourned my children and my families with everything in me. By this time, um, teachers have stopped calling, reaching out. You know, a few teachers were checking on me every day from the time we got back to school and up until about this time. So I had some teachers who were looking out and making sure but by the time I got to Atlanta, um, I hadn't, everybody had pretty much was like, because by that time, I think the school, yes, the, the school did, had told the parent, uh, told the teachers, don't text him, don't call him, that if we have to take him to court and you've been texting him, that they will subpoena your text messages, that type of bullshit. And, but you know, people scared, people, people don't want to be caught up in my shit, which I get. You know, I, I learned at an early age that there's a price to being a revolutionary and I don't. I don't use that term as a badge of honor or no shit like that because I didn't choose this life. I did not choose to be a revolutionary. Nobody would choose this. This is a lonely, difficult, humbling life. Being a revolutionary is a lonely life. And by this point, you know, the, the uh, school had put out a, a notice. I didn't read it. A parent forwarded it to me, but um, I didn't read it. I didn't, I didn't want to disturb my spirit in that way. Another parent called me in Atlanta. She said, hey, you know, I was going to leave you alone. I know you're going through it right now, but I really want to tell you what's, what's being said about you. And she proceeded to tell me that a teacher was going, that the Friday after it went down um, at football practice that day, a teacher had stayed after school three hours and was recounting what happened. And she said, yeah, according to him, you were dragged out of the school by eight off by eight police officers. Now, when she said that to me, I laughed in the phone, child. When I tell y'all, I hollered 
But she was dead ass serious. She was like, oh no, I'm, I'm being very serious and I have my husband here. They said that you were dragged out of the school by eight police officers and he was saying that you were crazy and that you wanted to start your own currency. And I'm like, wait, what? I said, did this nosy, silly cracker really take a hit like this? I say, no, ma'am. Now, what he's referring to was a conversation we'd had months ago about what a revolution was. And in that conversation, I told him that a real revolution calls for the establishment of your own currency. It wasn't no off the, no off the mark or no, you know, it was within the context of a conversation we were having. So the, this whole mischaracterization of me being this crazy black man who burst into this school and had to be dragged out by eight police officers and that this man went from went from parent to parent. He went from car to car telling this same lying ass story, according to this this particular parent. She said, I sit there and I, and I listened to him for an hour and she said, you know, it just didn't sound, it didn't sound like you. And my parents, when I tell y'all, I had the greatest parents and families in the world. These people loved me. They knew me. They knew what I meant to their children and they knew what their children meant to me. And they knew that the, the mischaracterization of what was happening to me was not true. So by my first week, the school either sends out a email blast or they send out like a tele, a teleblast, like a, a recorded message every day about me. Every day. In accordance to CC dot dash dot dash, students should not be talking to teachers who are da 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 da. If your child is talking to a teacher, a former teacher, he there will be discipline action. This is a recorded message that the director is singing out. I am causing this whole sleepless night. This hoe ain't slept. I can tell y'all right now, she gonna look back on this. Somebody ask her, ask her, did you sleep a day from January 8th to February 8th? She gonna say, hell no. That nigga robbed me of all my peace. But you know what, bitch? You robbed me of mine. And I will be lying here. I will be lying here if I did not say that I didn't seek some satisfaction in knowing that they were sitting in Tampa, not knowing when or if that nigga was finna strike again. I loved that I brought that type of uh, terror to that goddamn office. I know I had that damn Kilpatrick shook. I know I had that lawyer shook. I know goddamn sure I had that director shook. Y'all don't know where the fuck I'm coming from. But what you don't know, bitch, you ain't need to know it. But I was broken. I was healing at my mom and daddy's house. Laying in bed, crying. Atlanta reminded me that I can't run from things forever. Because I was not going to go back to Tampa. I was going to stay in Atlanta. I was going to stay at my parents' house, find a teaching job up there, find something to do up there, and start over. But I talked to a parent 
who called me while I was in Atlanta. I ended up being in Atlanta for about three weeks total. So from the end of January, like January 21st to like mid-February, I talked to a parent and I was telling her, you know, I have all these plans. And I was talking to my mom and my mom was so fired up. She wanted to come down to Florida with me and, you know, we're going to get 20 parents together and we're going to advocate on your behalf and we're going to go to the board. And I was, I was ready for that. I wanted my money. I wanted my name. I wanted, I wanted all of that. But I talked to a parent one day and she said, you have to be still right now. Take as much time as you need in Atlanta. Ain't nobody rushing you back here. And your parents ain't finna rush you away. She said, be still. Figure out what you're supposed to do. And I did that. I got real still. And you ever get so still that you hear God's voice so clear, it scared the hell out of you. That's how still I got. And I heard God say, leave it all. Leave it all. Now, I'm ready to go after the, I'm ready to go to arbitration at this time. So I'm telling myself I'm going to go to arbitration because I'm writing. This book was actually a letter that was going to go to the parents, but it was, I was asking to present it at my arbitration as well. I was fighting for my name. I was going to take them to hell and back over my name. I was going to take them to hell and back over them $1,700 that they owe me. And I was going to demand a public apology. This was what I wanted. God said, leave all that. I say, wait, what? Is Are you sure? Leave it all. So I left Atlanta with the understanding or with the intentions of letting this go. God told me to walk away. I was trying to explain that to my parents or to my mom, you know, and a lot of times your family out of care, um, their persistence sometimes can get in your head. And when you're making major decisions, even when people want things for you, you have to make that decision for you. Even if that means sharing nothing about that decision-making process until after you've made it. As an adult, as a person, as a human, you have that right whatever that decision is that you have to decide what's right for you. And when I left Atlanta, um, I had written about 45 pages worth of my experience at the school. So I came back to Tampa and I'm ready to start applying for jobs. So I applied for I applied for a Dina Culture job in Atlanta. I applied for 
two social studies, three social studies positions here in Tampa. About a week after I applied, I got interviews at all three. The day of the social studies interview, the day of that interview, I couldn't go. I could not bring myself to go. The day of that interview, all I could think about was, oh God, these people forwarded whatever, whatever to the Florida Department of Education. What if I have to explain to them my experience with the last employer? What if they call my last school for references? What if they do a background check and see that I have a trespassing issuance? I'm never going to be a teacher again. I'm never going to be able to do this again. I'm a criminal. I'm a villain. This is the this is the fucking real ass meltdown I had the day of that interview. So I didn't go. And then I moved to the second round of the Dean of Culture position at an African-centered school in Atlanta. And I didn't go. That a recruiter reached out to me from for a charter school in Riverview. Hey, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking she got my information from like a friend or someone who knew that I was looking. But that recruiter called me and I didn't get back to her. She had positions. Hey, we need teachers in X, Y, and Z. I have an 81% pass rate. I have unmatched classroom management and student engagement skills, and I'm paralyzed with fear because I'm scared of explaining myself and my last endeavor from this school. It took me a month, and even in that time, so that's going on, right? I can't apply for schools. I get back to now when I was in Atlanta, remember, I, I'm I'm in the city. I'm at karaoke a couple times a week. I'm at my uh I'm with my cousin. I'm you know with my brother. I'm with my friend. Like I'm having a good time in the city. I get back to Tampa. I went to the grocery store and I froze. What if I run into a student? What if I run into a parent? What if I run into a teacher? What if I run into one of these stupid cracker bitch ass administrators? So for the first month I came back from Atlanta, I avoided the mall. I avoided the movies. I was on quarantine before quarantine was a thing, honey. I was on quarantine before quarantine was a thing. Matter of fact, by the time I was like, by the time I got to the point where I'm like, bitch, you got to get a job and you got to go in public. That was about the second week in March. It was it was the second week in March. The week I had told myself I'm going to go out here and get me a job and I'm going to go out here and, and, and not be scared to go in public. That was the same damn week the damn COVID mandate came. It almost was damn the same day. It was like, you know, in my healing process, I'm finna get a job. The next day, all schools in Hillsborough County will be closed. What the fuck? 
but child, God knew. God knew. Um. So fast forward. Now remember, I told you that the police sent a letter to my sister's home in January. It's March at this point. They sent a letter to my sister's home, um, but she didn't open it. She got it, but she didn't open it. She kept it. So April, fast forward to April 23rd, 2020. The day is significant. It was a Thursday. I was in East Tampa. I was over at the Chico Sands. And since I'm over that way, I'm like, well, let me swing by my sister's house and pick my mail up. Or to see her, really, because I hadn't seen her since the quarantine. So I go to my sister's house and we hey, hey, he, he, kiki, and she gives me the mail that had come to my home three months earlier. Now, I had not read I had not read the letter that she sent to the house because again it was at my sister's house um, so I didn't even get to read it but I opened the letter. I was trying to find it. So sometime around mid-March, I made up my mind I was officially done with teaching. This current book started out as a letter to my former parents that I felt I owed an explanation. So many people invested in me. So many loved me that I felt it was my obligation. I should, my responsibility, because I wanted to do it. I felt it was my responsibility to explain my side of the story. At one point around the 1st of April, I even contemplated with the idea of asking for my position back. I was missing my children. My bills were piling up. And even though I was not in the building, students were still reaching out to me on both social media and for advice. Still. Still. Now, mind you, right before this, sometime in March, I had a student call me. Or I had a parent call me. And it was like, hey, my daughter's been getting bullied from these girls for like a month. I done went up there, talked to the principal about it, talked to the guidance counselors, nothing happened. Can you help me out? So she instructs her daughter to call me. Daughter calls me from the nurse's office explaining this story to me. Now this is what, so this conversation I had, because what I after I got the phone with the young lady, I called the parent of the little girl who was allegedly bullying her and say, hey, you know, X, Y, Z, here's the mama number. Y'all can work it out, get to the bottom of it, boom, boom, bang. Wash my hands of it. But I'm like, damn, even after I've been gone for two months at this point and students are still reaching out to me. Parents are still reaching out to me to fix this school shit. Do you know any teacher? And if there's any teacher who has ever done this, please let me find them or please introduce them to me. Name me one teacher who has left a school and a parent or a child and a child from that school reaches out to the teacher two months later 
to get them to help them deal with something at that school. Who does that? But that's the type of commitment that I always told the children and their families that I made to them as a Baba. I'm here for life. I teach you for a year, but you got me for life, baby. That's the commitment I make as your Baba. So, all right, let me just read this. April 23rd. So I opened this letter and this is what it said. Dear Mr. Wright, as principal of Kids Community College School, I am hereby informing you, pursuant of the School District of Hillsborough County Policy C-1380, that you cannot enter any Kids Community College School campus at any time from this notice. We reasonably determine that you willfully disrupted the orderly operation of Kids Community College campus on Friday, January 17th, notably entering campus without express permission. When the school security officer, who ain't secure shit, and the front desk clerk notified you that you were not permitted to enter campus and that law enforcement would be called, you bypassed them to walk down the hall and into an occupied classroom making contact with students I sure the fuck did. This caused a significant disruption to the learning environment. Wasn't no learning going on in that room. Additionally, your posturing toward administration making demands in front of children and indicating that this is not over was a disruption to the orderly operation of Kids Community College. This act also violates the board policy and or administrative regulations, which state in part. So, the rule that she stated I violated was threatening behavior towards staff members. The superintendent and the board believe that a staff member should be able to be in an environment free of threatening speech or actions. Oh, really? In order to provide a safe, caring, and orderly environment, the board expects civility for all who engage in school activities. Mm. Mutual respect, professionalism, and common courtesy are essential qualities that need to be that need to be demonstrated in promoting an educational environment free from disruptions, harassment, bullying, and aggressive actions. All right. Then it goes to it goes to list like seven or eight different other rules or laws. You know, uh, U.S. Code six six one six eight one. U.S. Code 621, U.S. Code 193, Civil Rights. Now, bitch, I looked every one of those up. Know that, okay? Those are important. Florida Statute 1006.145. These are all the laws that she has uh, stated that I've broken with this threatening behavior towards staff members. If you enter the Kids Community College campus, you will be guilty of trespassing and arrested. Accordingly, we expect you to fully adhere to our standards of conduct in the future. Thank you for your time and anticipated cooperation. I had to read that letter twice. Because the first time I read it, my face got hot. And I went right back to January 17th. There are a few things that must be addressed. First and foremost is the coded racist language in both this letter and the letter sent to parents previously infers that I posed a threat to the safety of the children. The letter she sent to the parents the day after, or the, the Friday, the, the Tuesday after 
I went up there. She sent a, a school-wide letter, um, and it's in the book. But in the letter, she doesn't state me by name, but she says, you know, uh, informal employee, well, made contact with students. Informal employee was on campus for approximately eight minutes and 22 seconds. Uh, we would advise our parents to cease contact with uh, former employee, making me sound like some goddamn murderer or prison escapee. Like, bitch, I have a name. Number one. Number two, I don't like your attitude or your tone or your delivery. I don't like what you're trying to imply, infer, or insinuate, bitch. I'm not a criminal. I'm not a threat to these children, and you're not going to make me out to be that. So y'all got to start calling these white people out on their shit. Don't let them make you out to be nothing that you are. They push us to these points, and then when we snap back and get back with a whole, all of a sudden, we want to be a threat. All of a sudden, now you don't know what to do with us. All of a sudden, now you want to be concerned about professionalism. Now you want to be concerned about a work environment free of harassment. Bitch, where were you when this cracker bitch was down my throat? Where was you when this woman was sabotaging this dance for these children? Where was you when this whole called these children a little bitch and a turd monkey and all that other ignorant shit? Where was you when she was transferring black children out of her room because they gave her dirty looks? But now you want to be, now that my black ass is involved and you feel threatened, that now that the work environment has to be free. And you quote, of all the shit I said to you, remember, going back, I told y'all, Everything I said to her and the, everything I said to the kids in the room. When I looked at those kids and said, this ain't over, she used that in this letter to justify as me posturing against her. As if that was uh, part of this threat that, that I made against her. Bitch, my back was to you. Of all the things I said to you, every time I talked to you, said something, addressed you, I looked you in your face. Every time. The last time I addressed you, I turned my ass all the way around because my back was to you and I looked you in your face. That 40 children heard me say this ain't over and they knew that I was talking to them because I was looking at them. So to use that declaration to my students that I was fighting for them and to position that as a threat against you, you are a lying, incompetent, racist, sorry, cracker, bitch. And I hope you don't have no peace in this field for the rest of your days. I hope Kids Community College is your last opportunity to lie and terrorize another teacher in the way that you did me. That you would send a letter accusing me of threatening or implying that I threaten you, that you infer or insinuate to these parents, suggest that I am a threat to these children's safety. The safety of the students at KCC were by and large compromised for nearly two years under the current administration in a multitude of ways, including but not limited to. So now they all of a sudden concerned about safety. They want to keep the black man away from the, the children. Multiple sexual harassment claims being ignored for two weeks before an investigation was finally launched. One student had about four accusations piled up against him in two weeks and nothing was done. Another incident involved about 13 students in a truth or dare game in the cafeteria that happened on the watch of two teachers. They both were in there. It was a game that went on for two days 
And the first day I was out of the cafeteria, I was dealing with a student issue. The second day I was out of the cafeteria was my day as a, as a teacher being out of the cafeteria. But something told me to take my ass in that cafeteria. I don't know what it was. You can call it God or angel. I don't know who. But I walked in that cafeteria and I saw about 15 children scattered from one table like roaches. I said, uh-uh, go back. So I went back. Or I, they went back to the table. Long story short, kids came clean. That was a game that was going on that was highly inappropriate. That could have gotten children expelled, lawsuits, all types of just, you know, silly shit but typical shit of middle schoolers. That was a boggled investigation. Boggled. That was another time where a student came to me and told me that a former student who was volunteering with one of our athletic programs had propositioned him with a sexual act in the parking lot. I brought this to the attention of the assistant director. Y'all think she investigated? Y'all think she followed up? Okay. Last year, there was a pretty persistent rumor going around among some school staff and teachers that a child was allegedly left in the nursing office. Yes. That one of the front office staff told me, did you hear? It was always some shit going on in this building. Now what? Supposedly, there was an elementary uh, a kid left in the nursing office during the fire drill. Girl, what? Yeah, she was in there. She was sick or she was laying down. She was asleep. And when they had the fire drill, they forgot she was in there. But y'all want to talk about the safety of these children with me? Okay, bitch. The outer perimeter doors were left unlocked throughout the day, overnight, and over the weekend multiple times. I let myself into the building through the unlocked back doors multiple times. That door wasn't ever locked. You can come through that back door, the, the, the door facing the side of the door facing the side of the elementary school, you can come through that bitch anytime you want to, child. If you knew the going, if you, because I would come in on the weekends. There were times where I came in on the weekends through that back door, walk through um, to turn the alarm off at the front of the school. I've done that before because the whole fucking building is left open like we live in a damn barn. The front doors did not lock. Or the, the key cards did not work. And so because the key card the key cards did not work, you know, the front office staff did not want to keep getting up and manually open the door because the doors were supposed to remain locked. So the front door, the entire first semester, were left unlocked. Anybody could have walked in that building. Because everybody walked in that building. That the only time they started locking those doors was when they went on a lockdown after I left the school. They sent out a message to the teachers. They told them that they were going on lockdown. And so doors were locked after I left. Again, they are criminalizing and villainizing me after they've demoralized me. So now they're trying to make me out to be a motherfucking 
criminal. Okay, bitch. Let's talk about safety. Let's get into it. Dozens of students, if I had to guess, I would put the number around 30 or 40, were allowed to be office assistants. Many of these students were allowed to walk unsupervised back and forth between the elementary and school campuses, middle school campuses. Students use this time to roam the halls, be on their phones, and kiss each other in stairwell, child. This was well known by the IB, co the IB coordinator, the director, the assistant director. The IB coordinator attempted to hide these students during our accreditation visit because IB prohibits students being out of academic class for certain numbers of time. Let me say that again. We were a school of about 200 kids. Okay. Of those 200 kids, we had about 40 goddamn office assistants. We would have... Five or six office assistants on one period in a school with 10 classrooms. Now, that was you that was enough to do. And when I became the IB invite the IB ambassador, I would provide a little bit more accountability for the children. Now I couldn't, that was my planning period. That's the only time I could uh, make sure they were doing what they were supposed to do. But by and large, I made sure those uh, office assistants, those IB folks, number one, was finding something to do along with the, the front office staff because they, they were getting on them. Um, but I also was making sure that those kids weren't in the hallways kissing. They weren't roaming the um, up and down the stairwell. They weren't doing all the stuff that they could very easily do because it was no supervision. When we had the IB visit, the high B coordinator was trying to figure out how can I hide all these children because you have to have children in academic instruction for a certain amount of time, according to IB. They have to be having instruction. If you got 25% of your kids as office assistant, they ain't learning shit. Them kids weren't learning shit. So them, them kids would use the office hour time to roam the halls. Students would walk to the corner store across the street unsupervised. That happened several times. They would leave campus and go and come back. A vendor once let himself into a side door bypassing the front office. He would have made it into the building unchecked if it wasn't for the quick thinking of several teachers. That was often people just let themselves in the building. We didn't know who the fuck they were. During the 2018 school year, the director and the section director would routinely assign the armed school resource officer Duties including disciplined students covering classrooms and running detention. This was highly unusual as the campus resource officer's function was not that of a school official. He was he would pull students out of class and was treated like an administrator. These the director and assistant director treated our police officer like he was a, a, a assistant principal. That this man it got so bad that that parents were complaining. And they were saying, I don't want my child being disciplined by a police officer. That's how bad it got. That they would let this the police officer run detention. Like when I tell y'all these hoes were so prone and so hell-bent on turning this school into a jail. That so much of me as dean of culture was fighting against these people trying to turn these black children into a goddamn detention center. They wanted to take the doors off the bathrooms. They, they got the damn police officer running detention. The children are already walking around in uniforms. You don't want them singing. You don't want them clapping. You don't want them dancing. Every time somebody raise their voice, somebody tell them to be quiet. What the hell type of establishment is this? 
Whose school is this? It ain't a black one. It ain't for the children that go here, I tell you that. All these brown and black children running around. Your school should reflect who you serve. Let me keep going. We talking about safety. The school was often hectic, chaotic, and unorganized for fire drills, lockdown drills, and pretty much day-to-day -day operations. Students did not take these seriously because the administration did not take them seriously. My door opened and closed so many times for two years that it spent most of the time off the hinges. My door stayed broke. My door could not lock and did not close properly. My door was often left unlocked during lockdowns because it was broken, and the administration knew this. The director, assistant director, and every other person in the building knew that my door was ghetto as fuck. Another teacher's locked door could be unlocked by students by simply twisting the handle in the opposite direction with force. Administration knew this security breach. The guidance counselor told me that a student's suicide prevention plan was screwed up by the assistant director. This is a direct quote. Sarah Lellum used a dozen students to help her load and unload packages from a semi-truck. She took students out of class and out of the cafeteria to climb on a truck to help her move a bunch of shit. During the 2018 school year, several students were able to log into an illicit website that allowed them to talk to anonymous people from around the world. They did this in class. If a teacher called in sick and a substitute could not be secured, students would be split among nine other teachers. This often caused some students to sit on the floor on top of tables and cabinets. I had children sitting on the floor in my room. I had 28 kids at one point in a classroom that was supposed to have 20. They only had 20 actual seats because I'm raggedy ass, sorry ass, raggedy cheap ass desk was falling a goddamn part every time you looked around. I had more three-legged uh, deaths than a bitch. All right. Black children were disciplined, targeted, harassed, and disciplined. Ooh. <laughs> black discipline, black children were disciplined, targeted, and harassed more severely than any other demographic in the school. Frequent fights happened in the boys' bathroom. The day I returned to school, two students were walking around campus outside the building. This was a common occurrence because administration was rarely in either building. Students took advantage of a building with no administration. The school resource officer spent ample time outside the building and sitting in his car, sleeping with his sorry ass. The halls were especially dangerous as the narrowness and locker placement often made it difficult to navigate. Smaller children were shoved, pushed, and trampled all together. This was every day. That the only time that the hallways were smooth and sufficient was when Bob and Eric was in that bitch running them. And see, when I was doing hallway patrol, Alright, I ain't had no problems because kids know I ain't do all that pushing and shoving, but we also didn't have no target because I used to be going up, I would I'd be walking up and down the hall. And my song would be, Don't get caught by the bell. I say, Don't get caught by the bell. Don't get caught by the bell. I say, Don't get caught by the bell. Cause if you're out of line, you're out of place. And if you're out of place, you're gonna be late. Don't get caught by the bell. So for three minutes, this was my groove. I would be singing up and down the hallway. So kids would be speed walking their asses on to where they need to go because if you're out of line, you're out of place. If you're out of place, you're going to be late. 
Now, in the off chances that I wasn't in the hallway, so I'm dealing with something in my classroom, and there were, there were many times where I couldn't be in the hallway. If I wasn't in that hallway, baby, it might as well be goddamn roller damn derby in that motherfucker. I mean, kids will put their book bags on their front and be bowing through the uh, crowd like they playing football. The type of order that would exist when I was present versus the type of order that existed when I wasn't present, every teacher, student, parent, and administrator can tell a clear difference in order and security when I left the school. But we talking and speak, let's, since we own security, let's talk about it. 